and I've just, I've just been sitting here trying to figure out why I was so determined to quit because <laughs> I came off the mountain, went straight to the, you know, straight to a volunteer and I said, that's it, I'm over. I think I was 30k into a 50, 50k race. And I, I quickly recognised it was my mind, mindset, my, my mental game that had let me down. Hey, and welcome back to the next episode. I don't want to harp too much on the date because people will listen to this in the new year. So I'm just going to say for whatever time of year that you are listening to this, specifically when it's new, but actually also for the new year, this is just an awesome episode to leave feeling motivated and excited and fresh, I'm going to say, which is a weird description, but that's how Kaz makes you feel. So Kaz is from London originally and she's now in Chamonix and she found trail running and immediately got obsessed. But the other part of it is that she had a DNF for a 50K that she attributes completely to mindset and feeling like she sort of gave up on herself and decided to take a full 180 and got a degree as a sports psychologist. So she has a wealth of knowledge for how to mentally overcome really hard things and take on new goals. And I think right now, as we are getting ready for race season for 2024, it is a pretty important time to also look at the mental training that you're doing and make sure that your mind is in a place to get you to your next goal. So she's also just so positive and so much fun. And her resume is also amazing. So we get into some of the races she's done and now she's all about 200 milers, which I mean, if you need proof that you are mentally strong, I think it is doing a 200 mile race and enjoying it right to the end. And she talks about kind of getting pushed right to the end uh, to podium in a 200 miler, which is bananas. So. You can find her at metalrunning.com and I will link to all of that in the show notes as well. So thank you guys all so much for supporting the show over the last year. It's been absolutely amazing to continue. So I'm going to do a solo cast for the next little bit, the next little bit, the next episode, that's it, one, to kind of talk about my 2024 plans because as most of you know, I will be having another baby. So I am going to take a short mat leave and we'll take a little bit of break from the podcast, but I might do some pre-recording, probably do some solo bonus episodes on Patreon and the old episodes will continue to go up on Patreon as well. So if you want to support the show and find us there, the link is in the Instagram at trail running women pod. And if you have guests that you want me to get to before April, find me on trail running women pod too. And I might actually do a contest, maybe a new year free coaching call contest. Stand by for that one. But I really, really appreciate everybody coming there to support the show. And yeah, I want to thank you guys for another amazing, fun year with so many good guests. It's been bananas. So I'm going to leave it at that. Here is Kaz. I have a fabulous guest today who is currently in Chamonix, who seems to have a wealth of knowledge and experience in the running world. So we have so much to get into. You're a performance psychologist as well as a running coach and an ultra runner yourself. So I'm excited to pick your brain on some of the psychology of running and also get into your own story. So welcome to the show, Dr. Kaz Williams. Thank you so much, Hilary. I'm absolutely thrilled to be here. (laughs) Well, thank you for your positive mindset. I'm sure we'll get into stuff around that as well. But let's start with a brief intro just about you as a runner. Where when did you get to Chamonix and when did you start trail running? So 
I did a little bit of running as a kid um, and then through, you know, when, when groups of friends were doing 5Ks and 10Ks, I may have joined in, but it was really a partner, my partner and I joined a gym when we were still in the UK and that was really my very initial introduction to trail running, but then shortly after that we moved to Chamonix and honestly, Hillary, get this, I'm... So it's about 20, 2010 we moved here for full time, but I think it was the summer of 2011. I'm beautiful August evening, uh, Friday night, and I'm standing about, I don't know, a K and a half outside Germany Town Centre in a place called Gaon, and we've got some buddies with us, and I was like, so you're telling me that in a minute there's going to be some runners that come past us, drop onto this trail, head down the valley, head into Italy, go to Cormayer, and at the time I'm pointing at the Mont Blanc Marathon, uh, Mont Blanc, a mountain because I know that Cormier is just the other side and they run from Italy and then most people go through a second night into Switzerland and they finish back in Chamonix and this friend just went yeah that's about it and I was just oh my goodness within a few minutes then the runners came through and from the lead pack to then seeing so I think at the time that would have been maybe 1800 runners so still a big you know big you know large race um, I was, um, I got goosebumps now just thinking about it. It's electric from seeing the passion and determination of the lead runners right through to the passion and determination of the runners at, towards the end. So the following that night when I go to sleep, I'm like, there are people running through the night and while I'm going to bed. And so the next day I got up. So like I said, I've done a little bit of running, maybe, you know, 10 Ks, maybe 20 K max. So I dropped back onto that trail there from where the gay on where I was standing. And I did the little trail to Lazouche, which is a beautiful <laughs> little river trail. If any of your listeners know it, there's, there's a punchy little kicker, like just halfway along. I had to walk. I was that like, I'm huffing and puffing. And in my head, I go, there are people running 100 miles. They're doing 10,000 meters of elevation and I can barely do 20. So being very curious, I then... The question just came in mind, how do I get to do the UTMB? And that's pretty much where my trail running started. Oh, that is epic. I mean, it's one thing when people verbally tell you about 100 miles, and I think people are like, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds crazy. But you can't really visualize it. So the fact that you could see them and see parts and how big it actually looks and that thought when you're going to bed that people are still running makes it feel so much more real and sink in so much better. It does, doesn't it? And I think, you know, I know, so even though it's changed, you know, with the stone, the kind of uh, qualification system and everything. Um, so I started doing, you know, local marath- local half marathons, local marathons. Then there was a, 50, a mountain 50K race, which is quite punchy, and slowly bought, got enough points to enter the CCC. And I was very lucky that I entered the CCC. Then the following year, I got a place in the TDS. And then the following year after that, I got a place in the UTMB. And because, again, it was probably a little easier to get into the TDS at the time. I mean, it still is a little easier now. Um, I went back and did the TDS because that's probably my favorite out of the series. But I am so great. I mean, (laughs) every year, I'm still just as excited as if the first year I saw it. So for me to have, you know, it was very organic doing the three races. And I felt... I had a lot of respect for them. I think that was certainly, you know, because then you kind of get, you, it opens question marks, doesn't it? It's like, well, if I've done the CCC, could I possibly do? Um, and that's, I think that's where everyone's journey starts, right? You have that race and you just go, 
wow, that was amazing. You reflect on this and then you go, oh my goodness, maybe I could do. And then it, yeah, our trail running world is, is incredible. It's, yeah, I feel very honored to have, like I didn't move here for the trail running. I didn't even know really that Chamonix was this, um, you know, this summer destination. I came originally with my partner for the winters. So to have, have this now is just oh, very, very special. And how old were you at the time? So I would have been, was I early 40s? Yeah, so early 40s or just turning 40, yeah. Oh, wow, okay. So then how about your athletic history before that? Did you play sports? Were you athletic as a kid? What did that look like for you? I was really not an athletic child. Um, We had a family meal recently in the summer and it was quite funny because I was telling this story. as like, do you remember like how just you know, kind of like solid and not very much, like all the girls could do handstands and cartwheels and I could barely, I looked like a, an instinct, like a bug trying to kick my legs up. Um, so I was really not that athletic. But what happened, I think, was um, I learned that I had endurance, not at a young age, but then as I kind of probably went through my 20s. Um, in the, my 30s, I joined the Reserve Forces. Um, and I think it was that point where I recognised fitness became a really important part of my life um, and it challenged me in a way that I don't know it kind of it excited me I wanted to know what what I was capable of and I kept on trying to push at that envelope yeah and I'm wondering if okay so to put the timeline together because the other interesting part of your story is what you do for work so were you into sports psychology before you found trail running or did that come after as well? So I had done work in sort of uh, qualitative studies in psychology and human behavior but not necessarily in sport and then it was when I started it was when I mean it's like anything you have that light bulb moment and my light bulb moment was when I had to have my number cut in a race because I I just dropped and I quit even th- so I'm sitting on the curbside I'd had my number cut and my partner came and picked me up and he was like what's wrong what's happened have you fallen you need to twist your ankle, whatever it was and I was like nope and I've, I've just been sitting here trying to figure out why I was so determined to quit because <laughs> I came off the mountain went straight to the you know straight to a volunteer and I said that's it I'm over I think I was 30k into a 50 50k race and I, I quickly recognized it was my mind mindset my, my mental game that had let me down and that then led me to look at the psychology side of things because it was it just opened the door and I was fascinated by it so from the human behavior studies um, and ethnography that I'd done previously um, then I went back and did my master's in sport and exercise psychology oh that's so interesting Um, okay so let's back up a bit and I'm sure we'll get to that story as well you see this hundred miler up close, obviously quite inspired. So how did your journey into your first race look and really getting into the sport? And then we'll talk about some of the accomplishments you've done, because obviously you got quite swept away. So um, I think possibly, you know, when you're a beginner and, you know, you maybe try and consume as much knowledge as possible, but um, my partner, John and I, we both started our trail running together. And it was a case of, we have to have big mountain days. Okay, so let's beast ourselves. We'd make these big mountains and we'd come down so tired. You know, we couldn't, we couldn't probably train or run for another week. 
And so um, our very first race was the Marathon de Mont Blanc, and we both wore our biking packs. So we had these framed mountain because we didn't we would we'd done some mountain biking. We didn't know anything about trail running kit, and so we had these massive packs on. I mean, we looked like little turtles or something. I don't know. And you know, you quickly recognize that everything as simple as running is and having that pair of shoes for an for an or stepping from I suppose trail running into mountain races and then ultras so many things come into play and you do need to train and you need to train well you need to train for that as you know um, as a coach yourself the specificity for the race but your nutrition your hydration the longer races, your sleep strategy, they all come into play. And so for us, it was this huge learning curve. And slowly but surely, like I said, we'd find a race that was a slightly different challenge that we might have to use poles on. So it was the first time using poles, practicing that technique, trying to transfer some of the skills that we had from our winter skiing, you know, onto the mountains in the summer. Um, And it's just been this, it's been this epic journey. It really has, very organic as well. Nothing's been forced I would say I feel really lucky that I've kind of followed this path and races of the right races have come along or somebody shared something and you go oh that I can see that now or yeah it's been it's been incredible so during that first race did you feel like you I mean other than probably (laughs) the gear choices did you feel like you were able to predict the problems you were going to come across and things you had to learn did it go okay or what were your biggest takeaways uh so the biggest takeaways from that race was probably I mean I remember at the time it was a very very hot day and we had so races now um certainly within the the sort of Chamonix Valley and probably a lot a lot of races now probably more conscious of conditions so they'll put up warnings whether or not it's you know bad weather warnings or heat heat warnings and I think at the time, probably those, those that comms wasn't there in, you know, sort of 2012, 13, 14. So it was a really, really hot day. And I hadn't taken on enough water or even understood what electrolytes were, <laughs> electrolytes were in that first race. So I think from a performance basis, I couldn't understand what was happening to my body, thinking I had trained enough. I knew I could do the distance. I knew I could do the vertical. But I hadn't put the time at that point into those aspects, such as maintain managing your body in different conditions yeah definitely like ultra running is so much about just solving problems and sometimes even if I have an athlete going into their first 100k for example we cover as much as we possibly can but there's an aspect where you just have to find out how your body's going to react too and we're all a little bit individualized in that so it's there is the necessity of having experience I think to really nail it as well Yes, absolutely. Do you have a moment yourself that you can remember where you felt it was a big learning curve for you or something that really stands out? I think what stands out the most is having to relearn some of the same lessons over (laughs) and over again. And right when you think you've got it nailed, like if you're not totally paying attention going into, say, 100k on a really mountainous the um, course that might take you 15 hours or something and just not doing the basics Um, and I find that's really funny like I have to really go through everything that could go wrong and how I'm gonna how I'm gonna solve them but like you I think I've just got a little bit lucky with that my body kind of responds well to one pace for a really long time Um, 
And my husband is the opposite, which is interesting. Like no matter how fit he is, something goes wrong with electrolytes or nutrition and it's really hard to figure it out for him. Oh gosh. I think it's one of those um, moments where you're right. You kind of try and make, take those lessons from it. It's so, um, it's a lot more comfortable sitting on our sofa thinking through our race. And I really try and encourage people to do that in that, you know, sometimes if if we're talking about from the mental aspect whether it's visualization work or your self-talk find a really quiet time before a race where you just sit there and you go okay so the race starts at six and you rewind you know but certainly for UTMB at six at night or some races you know two o'clock in the morning um when am I going to be having my meal when am I going you know when is my kit when do I have to my drop bags ready by and really quietly sit there and go through it all and then sometimes it's as much as like I've never done this distance before. What's, you know, what's 45K going to feel like? What's 100K going to feel like? And I think you're right. Sometimes if we can put ourselves in those moments in the preparation in advance, if we're present enough in the race and we go, ah, I thought about this, you know, I kind of, I imagined what it was going to be like at 80K and I reached this particular aid station. and, And I think we can do a lot of work before the race to really help our performance during the race. Yeah, 100%. I think that goes for any sport, right? If you visualize solving a problem or feeling good or making the right decision, then your body doesn't know the difference between whether or not you've actually been there doing that already or if you just thought about it. So you're just primed to make that decision properly when you're fatigued and maybe don't have your wits about you as much. Exactly. It was when um, so we were in a shared office a few years ago. And um, somebody who is in there, who's not not sporty, not certainly not a runner, and he just said, "What happens if your pole snaps?" And I was like, "It's probably longer than I said, maybe eight years ago." And I just went, she, uh, "Pole pole snap was, I think, my question." And it was like, it just again, like the one hundred one of trail running. And I and I, you know, you kind of go, "Well, gosh, that would actually set a person into a bit of a tiz." you know, in the middle of the race and they lose a pole. And it's it's something I will, you know, I'll, I'll say to friends, it's like, if that happens, it happens because we only have so much energy, you know. And in races, we want all our energy and efforts to get us to that finish line. Whatever happens in between, if we expend a huge amount of energy focusing on a broken pole, you know, that's energy that's going to be taken away from our, because we're, it goes to our brain. We all know that our brain uses the most, you know, 25% of our energy. We want to divert it to make sure that our legs can keep on running, that we're still staying aware about our nutrition and hydration. If we're then telling every person under the sun, our crew, then runner next to us, my pole broke, you know, oh my goodness, that's, you know, that, that can, that's, that can be, that can really derail races for people. And I think if, we try and go with the flow a little bit. Um, I mean, there's that classic scenario with um, Killian Journey when he was running hard rock. I don't know if you remember this. And he fell and dislocated his shoulder. And basically, he had somebody strap it up. He's got one pole and he carried on and went and won the race. And there was a friend who dislocated his shoulder in a race about three, four years ago. And you know, right? It didn't, it didn't, put him into like toys out of the basket. He just went, Killian had his shoulder strapped after he dislocated his shoulder. I'm going to have my shoulder strapped and I'm going to carry on. But I think had he not known that story, he may have thought that was his race over. So I think it's really interesting to play even the the replay, even the worst scenarios and just go, how would I deal with it? What would I do? And even if it's a two second thought, 
pre-race if something drastic does happen because I think that's part of our skill as being ultra runners we have to learn to adapt because for those long distances you don't anything could happen Uh, and I think that's that's part of the excitement as well yeah isn't that funny that's just sort of like regular life though right like is something really that bad or is the main part how we react to it that you're so right so that is life isn't it and I think maybe you know I and transferring all we learn in life to running and running back to life I think it's yeah absolutely so you finish this one race obviously you learn some things and then how did it look before you got to that race that you ultimately uh DNF'd I'd like to dive a bit into that kind of mindset and then working your way through it it was a really interesting one because i I don't know for me whether it was I had overtrained on that course because usually I don't recce races. I mean, I know the Chamonix really Chamonix Valley really well now, um, but because of traveling to race a lot, I have to just in my head go, well, I'm not going to get a chance to get onto that course. So I don't put too much energy, you know, talking about energy, I don't put too much energy about it. I don't make it a reason for an excuse. And I think what had happened on the 50K that I was doing was that I had some key times that I knew I'd hit previously. And when you're 10 minutes behind, 20 minutes behind, 30 minutes behind, and this was probably the biggest lesson, it really affected my, my, my mental game. And that, you know, so I always create a little um, race profile. I put some key timings in where, you know, whether it's a distance, a time I want to reach a certain distance or an aid station. And I've learned that, as much as, you know, I can only put as much into that kind of guesswork from, you know, I know how long it takes me to do a thousand meters over, I know, 4K or something. So I kind of, you know, you base it on your training and sometimes I then might even write, um, you know, if you're feeling really brave and bold and the race is going well, maybe we can push it here, you know, and try and gain some ground. But I knew from that race that by having those times previously, that's what was, I couldn't shift my mental game to say it doesn't matter you're still running strong you're still going to finish it's going to be fine but because I was you know that the, the time delay was getting bigger or the I was getting slower um yeah that really messed me up so that was that was a that was a that was a tough learning curve yeah it's so hard I actually had someone who tried to redo a race that they dnf'd and found that same thing so they're comparing themselves to how they were doing the last time they did that particular race when they all know they ultimately DNF'd and it's um, pretty hard to get out of that comparison game. You almost need to, because again, the beauty with our sport, just, you know, even if the date of the race is the same each year, conditions are bound to be different. We we know. So there'd be a lot of people that will have done UTMB in 2012, which was the year that it was cut short and it stayed in France um, because the weather was horrific and there was a major landslide. Um, So, you know, everyone will go, which year did you do it? And, you know, so, so weather can dictate certainly experience, but even, you know, even on a very, um, a race in a very consistent weather area, you know, it's how you feel on the day, what your work stresses have been, what your family life's been. Has it been a really amazing year or has it been a really stressful year? And I think, you know, that is um, amazing with our sport in that respect, whether it's the terrain itself, the wet, the elements, um, or how we're actually feeling on the day. Yeah, for sure. It's always just 
you do the best that you can on that day, given the conditions. And that's all yeah. you can focus about a lot easier to say than the actual do, but so you drop out of that race. And I imagine afterwards you're kind of sitting on what happened and trying to figure out how to change it and how to move forward. Um, so did you then take what you learned and put it into more races or did you immediately want to go back to school or how did that all look? It was taking it into the next race and I started, I suppose, trying to bring uh, my tool, my mental tool belt together in the same way that we bring our kit together. You know, you find the pack that works for you. You find the shorts, the t-shirt, the, the poles, um, you find everything works. And I was going to try, I knew that I needed to do work in that area. Uh, I lean a lot on, you know, I do look to big, I'm a big David Goggins fan. I do believe in, you know, that kind of strong training your mindset it's the discipline it's not always we can be motivated but we still have to be disciplined and it's it's welcoming that pain cave and I kind of I have a phrase now when um whenever I reach that point in a race which is a bit like I just say um oh hello old friend you know welcome like we're just going into the pain cave and it's okay and because I know that whether it lasts two minutes 20 minutes two hours in some races you know 20 hours but I do know that I'll come out the other side and then I think it's finding a way to navigate and manage that in the moment and so I see it as part of our responsibility as an athlete to particularly when we're improving all aspects of our race it's an area that we can't ignore and I think sometimes it, it's a real curveball for people because I think if some athletes have had incredible, you know, a run of incredible races and have felt mentally, you know, very fit, they've got the nutrition dialed, everything else, that race where their mental game lets them down, I think can be harder than, a, than an, in, you know, sometimes an injury to get over because they're just questioning, well, what happened? What happened? I thought I had everything dialed. So I think after that initial, wow, that's what it feels like when, yeah, when, mentally it took over you know physically I was absolutely fine so that's that I mean but that's an ongoing that's ongoing it's you know every every race is a lesson it teaches us something so one partner we've been working with for quite some time for the trail running women podcast is AG1 it is something that I started taking daily over a year ago and I could instantly feel the difference mainly in my recovery and my gut optimization because that is one thing I really struggled with especially in long distance running and just having everything sorted as far as prebiotics and prebiotics really helped me race better because I didn't have to spend time dealing with a gut that wasn't feeling good especially leading up to races and feeling like you want to cut out some of your vegetables and fibrous foods you can still get all of the vitamins and minerals from greens that you need without dealing with digestive upset so because i'm pregnant right now i am watching my husband take it and feeling super jealous of all of the amazing results that he is experiencing but i recommend ag1 to all of my family and friends because it has been formulated based on the latest science and it maintains such high quality standards and athletes have been working it for well, working with it for well over 10 years. So every time I recommend it, I do get feedback that somebody feels more energetic or that they feel that their stress levels are more manageable and I think it just really gives your body the nutrients it craves when we are breaking it down in hard workouts every day. So we also have to be giving back to 
that. So if you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to drinkag1.com backslash TRWP. That's drinkag1.com backslash TRWP to check it out. Yeah, and that's just such a part of our sport. And I like to think that that's the fun part because there's not many other sports where you get to just sort of pause and think, okay, I am in the depths of it right now and how am I going to get through this? And that's kind of the place you get to explore that is so unique to all of us. Yes. Do you, do you have, what do you lean on? Do you have like mantras or are you good with your self-talk? What do you, what do you like to use? I think I'm just really positive. So I just enjoy that feeling. Like I get excited when I'm there and I'm like, I think like, okay, I know I'm going to respond to this part of the course better than most people out here and that I can continue to push. And it's just a really cool place to showcase your toughness and try to spin it around to think like, this is the crux of the race. And this is where you can really pull through. If I can't, Sometimes I like to just think I'm just going to ignore this feeling and I'm going to revisit it in 20 minutes and see how I feel because you kind of know things are going to change as well. Yeah. And they always do. You always feel good again. Or in, if you really can't, like eat something. <laughs> <laughs> that is a good one. Yes. Um, I think, I mean, that's, it. it, it is an exciting, challenging, uncomfortable part of our, of our sport, our races. And finding, and each time you might find something different that helps you. So you you mentioning the eating. Sometimes I'll try and make, um, a, you know, say one of the uh, shop block chews uh, last as long as I can. So I'll just hold it in my mouth and I'm going, it's me or you chew. I'm going to make you last as long. You know, so you find games or something to distract your mind from where you're at. Because in there's this great thing in psychology and it's, I usually say it in some of my talks, but it's like, we can't think of two things at once. We can do two things. So we can like drive a car and sing. Um, we can, you know, run and listen to a podcast. But actually thinking, we can only think of one thing. So what we need to try and do is have those, neg- you know, if those negative thoughts are like becoming overwhelming, it's not necessarily trying to ignore them or trying to, you know, swipe them out of our brain. It's just trying to replace them with something. And you saying that you're really positive, that's probably the best thing that we can do so look for the smallest thing even if your brain's saying oh you're so slow you're last you know you caught you haven't done your fit you know you're not fit enough why do you think you can do this race it's a bit like you know we could go really macro and say I'm alive I'm on this planet and I'm lucky to do this we could go to the micro and go oh my goodness that flower just there is beautiful or look at the view and so sometimes that distraction in the moment and if we can keep replaying the distraction instead of replaying the negative thoughts, then slowly over time, like you said, we come through it, whether it's, like I said, 20 minutes or two hours. But it's a process that we have to go through. And you know that feeling when you've had a really tough, when you've been in the pain cave for a long time and you finish that race, how proud are you of what you've achieved? Because it's always in those difficult moments that we grow the most and you know, if, if every race was easy and if we were getting PBs every race and we never had any nutrition issues and we never had any pain caves, I, you know, would we carry on racing? Um, you know, I'm not sure. But the fact that we can grow so much is um, through these experiences is, you know, it's fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that is such a good point as well to think about yourself at the finish line. And sometimes I like to think about myself the next day 
And I'm like, I'm going to be sitting in a computer working, wishing that I was back here in this moment where I had nothing else to worry about but putting one foot in front of the other. And it sort of forces you to enjoy that freedom that you have. And it's it's like, uh, I'm not, I, I mean, I suppose for me, I would always argue that running is my meditation, but that, med, you know, people talk about meditation in that way, don't they? It's like, you very much are doing the internal work, you're sitting with your breath, you're very present. You know, that is the beauty. We know how crazy our lives can be outside of a trail race. And I do view them, you know, it's my sanctuary. It's where, you know, even though it's sort of changes, I know now with um, people, you know, perhaps on social, even during a race and taking photos and everything. But if you want that race to be, you know, if you want to close yourself off just to that space, you know, nobody knows exactly where you are. You might have a tracker, but, you know, you, you within that distance, within that area, but you can, you're very much on your own. It's that headspace that certainly I seek when I do these um, races, that, yeah, separation from the day-to-day stuff, which, you know, it's it's challenging us to, yeah, do the inner work as well as, the physical work to make sure that we can physically do the races. Yeah, absolutely. I love all of that. So back to your actual running for just a sec here. After you decide you're going to make some changes, some of the races you've taken on are absolutely massive. So we're we're going through time so fast here, but I know you got into 100 milers and Tahoe 200 and Moab 240. Uh, so things just kept getting longer and longer. So give us a couple of your highlights of these really long races oh gosh um you're so right everyone does have a highlight and I think I'm so it's always I'm always curious to see what I'm capable of and what my potential is and I think over time I suppose I've, I've gained strength in not limiting myself I'm not trying to do something that other people have it's not like I'm trying to do the first of anything climb a particular you know a mountain or get to space or whatever it is so in my head I you know and I'm not I'm kind of saying that from a place of human endeavor I think um we you know we are all stronger and braver braver and more capable than perhaps we think we are and I think pushing myself is part of my journey that's what I want to do um and that's where the 200 mile races came in um, certainly in Tahoe, my favorite moment was seeing a bear with my, with my buddy Walter on the outskirts of Tahoe City. And I'd had horrific um, hallucinations the night before. And I'd, I could make up people, properties, boundaries, you name it, whether they were old, young, what clothes they were wearing. I could, like, my hallucinations were very vivid. Um, and then when I, so it was through the second night, I think, when uh, Walter and I started running together and we popped out of Tahoe City and there was this bear on this dumpster and I, we both froze and I was like, you please tell me you can see that bear because I was worried that I was now hallucinating bears. Um, so that was a beautiful moment in Tahoe. In Moab, Moab was um, an incredible race because we went from very hot conditions in the day to even a light dusting of snow on one of the nights. Um and my race, uh, my sleep strategy was kind of out with Moab. And so I ended up taking a longer sleep one of the night. Instead of like, I was usually taking about an hour, maybe 45 minutes. Um, I think I ended up taking about an hour and a half. And um, that was really empowering. And I felt, I felt like if I was in a computer game, like my energy had gone from zero to 10. You know, I was fully powered. 
And I'm running on the, towards the finish, I think it was about 20K away. And it was on the slip rock that all the bikers love. So it's this biking course. And I took the biggest of falls, like literally splat, you know, kind of hands out. Thought I'd knocked all my front teeth. Um, and I just started laughing. I thought this is hilarious. And so I was in, um, I was in second place at that point, And I knew uh, the girl in third. And um, I knew that she was, she was charged, you know, she wasn't too far behind me. And I think one of the David Goggins quotes is, you never look back. And so, Hillary, what did I do? I look back and I could see her there. So I start like running like a lunatic. I say running like a lunatic, as in I was probably just going above snail's pace at that point in the race. But what was funny when we both, I, I maintained second, she stayed third. And when we finished and we saw each other at the, at the finish line, she was like, I wasn't bothered about trying to catch you. I just didn't want fourth place woman to catch me up. So she was having this whole like adventure herself. Um, but that's, you know, we were so excited to have had to be pushing each other right until the end of a 240 mile race. It was, yeah, we were both, we just laughed and giggled at the end. So that was a beautiful moment shared. And then I'm at the start line at uh, Top Dret in Italy and she's there. And, you know, you just... Among the hundreds of people, you suddenly see a face that you recognise, and yeah, that was beautiful. Um, yeah, so I'm. What am I? Where, where am I now with Moab? Yes, and then well, Barclay Marathons. That was a huge highlight. So yeah, very lucky to have got a place in Barclay. Yeah, and you finished one loop there, which is amazing to finish any loops and not just wander into the wilderness. Um, how did you get into that, and why was that a goal for you? A snowy winter's day in Chamonix, I'm what, flicking through Netflix and I see the uh, the race that eats his young, the, the film that was on Netflix a few years ago. And yeah. I watched it and I became obsessed. I think every run after there, I was like, how do I get into Barclay? And imagine this is Frozen Head State Park. And I just kept on, I just couldn't get it out of my mind. So I said I, I really like projects and I like researching things. So I kind of created a little note on my phone, you know, in the notes um, app. And it was like Project Barclay. And so I started reaching out to people that I'd seen in the film. So I would freeze frame, get names, everything else. And I think what I love so much about this race, I mean, it, it still holds a very special place in my heart. But it's a bit, even though there's a, there's a lot more information about it now, but eventually um, somebody did very kindly share some information about how to get in. And there's two different processes for international applications and US residents. So um, yeah, I had my essay written probably a year at that point. So I find tweaked it, sent it in. And I got that email that said, it is a regrettable duty to inform you that you have a place in the Barclay Marathons. And I think um, myself and my partner John we just I think we were shocked completely shocked but yeah that started the whole planning of how I was going to get around Barclay so yeah incredible experience um, I would love to go back to Barclay that is a, an ambition um, I it was a it was a very bad weather year uh, I think Lars's quote at the end of it was uh, the mountains what was he say something like the mountains may have won but we knew but they knew that we were there I think it was even a year that, um, you know, there was no fun run that year. Um, so nobody did even three loops. We just had horrific weather. So finishing that year and in that weather, 
in time to get one official loop um, is a very proud moment and I would love to give it another go sure yeah that's a good one that's fun that one is like either you see it and you want to do it so badly or the navigating your own route has zero appeal and it's not for you. <laughs> I did have a moment so um, I'd gone to the park about a week before so you're not allowed to go off trail you're not allowed to try and find you know the route um, because if you start doing research you'll get you can see you know people have put some pictures up and you might go oh maybe the one of the books is over there and but you know the kind of that it's if you you know stick to the rules when you're in the park you're only allowed to stay on the you know as Lars calls them the candy ass trails so I got my bearings of what the park felt like on the actual trail um and there was a moment so because you know the the cigarette gets lit you're at the yellow gate everyone runs off there's the very you know strong elite runners at the front and some people do buddy up and there was about two or three of us and we buddied up and you know one of the one of them was a veteran so she you know she was able to steer us a little bit for the first two books and then we kind of split up and there was a moment Hillary when I'm literally on my own at the back of the park and I just went oh my goodness I'm in Barclay marathons and I'm on my own and it's just so it's kind of like I had a bit like with the with the hallucinations in Tahoe I really had to give myself a good talking to and say hey get your compass out get the map out let's you know let's get some bearings sorted and let's get going and so it was that moment of a bit of a regroup bit of a self-talk bit of a pep talk and yeah amazing well that's awesome I hope you do get to go back and that we all now have someone to follow along and get excited about (laughs) so going back to a bit of the psychology stuff I know you coach athletes and obviously the mental game to do 240 miles and all of that is, has to be one of the strongest parts of your running game. So what are some of the main questions and things you have to work through with athletes? Do you know, I think the biggest thing is really helping people believe in themselves. Um, I suspect you find this as well. As the coach, you see the training that some of your athletes are putting in and, you know, they're completing every session. They're building in volume. They're building in their intensity. They're hitting all the interval sessions. They have these great training blocks leading up to their race. They're performing really well. And then for me, some of, I mean, some athletes have great um, self-efficacy and self-belief. And that's fantastic because you can see that out, that play in their performance. They see themselves at that finish line. They see themselves crossing it and, you know, strong and confident. We try and what I try and do with the athletes is find, let's find maybe a mantra, something that you can repeat. So when you enter the pain cave, if you can't think of anything else to do, just go and repeat whatever your mantra is. I think that's something that um, Courtney shared over the years. She said, I think some of her um, mantras have been... Um, I'm fine. This is fine. It'll be fine. And she just does that on repeat until she feels in a stronger place. Uh, She may have many different ones now, but so I think getting people to really believe and I ask them to go back through their training, see all their great, you know, the great work that you've done when you, you know, that, that race week or taper week um, and really instill in you that you're capable to do this. Uh, So that's probably the biggest one. Yeah, that's great. What I like most about that is it it's actually kind of simple. Like the problem of having somebody learn to believe in themselves sounds very overwhelming. And how do you go from thinking I can't do this to I have no doubt that I can do this? But it can it can be just as simple as 
telling yourself that and continuing to say it until you believe it. Yes, I so I started making a few years ago just small little belief stickers. I make them every year. I print out 50. If somebody DMs me and wants one, I just send them to them free wherever they are in the world. And it's become certain friends will, will always ask for them and have them on their race numbers. Um, I write, um, so I write on my numbers, I write on my shoes. Um, so I try and, you know, all the little tip, all the little things that have helped me in those moments. Um, I might have, um, so when I did Tahoe, a buddy who um, is a much stronger athlete than I am, I, I asked him, um, hey, so what do you think? I'm going to go and do this 200 mile race. I said, you know, I know that you're a strong 100 mile finisher. What do you think? And he pondered it for a while and he just went, stopping is not an option. And I looked and it was like, you know, a few words, but that went on my race number. And I, I really sat with that phrase because no matter what was going to happen in that race, I was like, no, I'm just, Part of it maybe sometimes is that, you know, I pay to travel to some of these races and it's a big investment just of, you know, time and travel. It's not on my doorstep. And so, you know, trying to make the most of that experience, being grateful for that opportunity as well, I think is something really important. But you're right. I also, I think somebody jokingly said, oh, I've got one of your belief stickers. So if I just believe, then can I finish a hundred mile race? And it was like, no, it also comes with putting in all the hard work. But I think there's important elements that um, some people can work on and could really benefit their their, their performance in when racing. Yeah, of course. Like, I mean, you have to take care of the foundation first, but then that feeling of imposter syndrome, I think a lot of people get. And I've even had people say that they just feel it because they see Instagram photos of people running up mountains and they have to walk. And I'm like, that's not real. <laughs> that person ran for 30 seconds for that photo and all these things that we can kind of just get hung up on. Yes. But isn't that, I mean, as how how this space has changed i mean i think it was maybe let's think six or seven years ago when the marathon de mont blanc was first videoed as first filmed you know uh, live and i think there was you know a couple of runners with 20k kilo back battery packs and camera crew you know then somebody was on a bike and it was really jittery and everything else we get to watch utmb now you know we get to see the elite runners and you see, you know, Jim and Killian and Courtney and, you know, Mimi, they're all, you, when you hit a climb, their ability to power hike up that, their pole technique, you know, so I think I'd like to hope exactly what you just said, that shares what with, with you know, kind of our, um, you know, the, uh, I wouldn't say middle of the pack, but us as athletes outside of the elite, you know, what they, what they do and how they perform um, is no different to us. So we're almost out of time here, but other than Barkley marathons, what other races are you or big goals do you have for the future? Oh, that's such a good question. So I always, you know, I've, I've got qualifiers for uh, Western States and Hard Rock. It's, I try and maintain those and hope that one, one day I'll get in. But I always, um, I heard a great phrase from a, a runner this summer, um, Ken, who ran Vol State's. Uh, who won Vol State, and he actually said uh, one and done. And he didn't mean one as in he won the race, even though he did. But what he did is he pretty much does, a, you know, he'll only run a race once because there are so many amazing races out there. And I feel very similar. So if I don't get into the, um, I suppose, the more prestigious races, I'll always look um, for the 
wonderful smaller races that have great community great race directors I love supporting smaller races so um, I'll see what if I get into any lotteries and then I'll make a decision about um, bigger races I think I did Badwater Salt and Sea this year and I think that spiked a curiosity for Badwater 135 um, but that's a whole it's my so my mountain legs struggle with the road so I'd need to really sort of shift my training um really to kind of do that you know to perform well there but yeah, yeah I get there's, that. there's so many um so many amazing races out there yeah you're right but there's lots of time as well yes exactly last question if you could describe trail running in three words what would they be I suppose I'd come from it in three different ways I suppose so for me happiness happiness joy I love I love all parts of running, um, so happiness would probably be one. From the racing side, it would have to be something that's really like quite deep and meaningful, quite profound, so kind of in a, I don't know, heartfelt way. Um, yeah, racing gives me some, helps me grow internally as well as externally. So maybe meaningfulness, running gives me meaning. And then the third one would have to be camaraderie and people. I mean, our races are because of people, whether it's the race directors, the people that you meet on the course, the volunteers. Oh, my goodness, aren't the volunteers just amazing when you, you know, when you're in that low moment. Um, I've got some great buddies now that were volunteering. I mean, they're amazing runners themselves. Um, one person I can think of immediately in Moab just kind of, I don't know, just listen to me, have a moan. <laughs> and then gave me that kick up the bum and just said, get out there and carry on. And so, you know, so, so people and camaraderie would probably be my third word. Yeah, that's so true for an individual sport. It absolutely, I mean, and compared to road running, even it's so much bigger in trail running. I love that aspect. Yes. Yes. So this has been so awesome. I love both of your story and all of your kind of in-depth knowledge of mindset. If anybody wants to find more from you, take a second to plug your Instagram website. Where can we find you? So on Insta, I'm at Mountain Kaz. Um, it's Kaz Williams on Facebook. And then metalrunning.com is the business. But through the social, you should find my, uh, my business website, my company website. Okay, awesome. And we will link to all of that in the show notes as well. So thank you so much for joining us today. And yeah, like I said, I can't wait to follow you along on everything that you have in the future. Hilary, and likewise, good luck with all your podcasts. It's amazing. And you're racing too. It'd be yeah, great to follow your journey. So thank you very much. Thank you.